You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. And welcome to a podcast of spurious morality. I'm Johnston, and I'm joined this week by Jimmy. Hello. And a newcomer, Gary. Hi there. So, welcome to the Spurious Podcast. The Spodcast. Everyone else calls it Spodcast. I've got to remember to sort of keep up with that. It's like the rest of the group are like, it's the Spodcast. I keep calling it the Spurious Podcast. It's not. Um, so, after that little ramble, we'll get started. Um, we are this week looking at the Companion Chronicles from Big Finish, which uh, ran for quite a long time. They had a good decade, I think, didn't they? And it's sort of up in the air whether we're going to get any more or not. I think it's been kind of hinted that maybe not. But um, we're going to have a jolly good look at them. So your spoiler warning for this week is the Companion Chronicles. Uh, we might sort of delve into some linking main range territory or whatever, but I think we're going to be pretty consistent with what we talk about. Um, so, uh, I'm going to throw a fairly tricky question at you both just to get us started. So, Jimmy, you go first. What's your favourite companion chronicle? It's a tough choice to narrow it down to one because there are so many good ones, but I'd have to pick, if I can pick a trilogy instead of an individual story, then it's got to be the Oliver Harper trilogy. To pick them more specifically, just one of the three, it's too hard. I love them all. That is fair enough. Uh, what about you, Gareth? Um, well, it's another trilogy since we're allowed trilogies. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Sarah Kingdom. And specifically, I feel like the best one is Home Truths. It's just a really scary well-told hour that really adds to your understanding of a companion who really wasn't in it very much so you could be justified in looking at that and thinking well you know you're not going to get much more out of her but it really does that's a very very excellent choice actually i think you've probably sort of picked the two the two strongest sets of stories from the whole range. So that's it we can pack up and go home so it's been lovely having you both on thank you <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to pick something slightly different then. I'm going to go with, it's another companion that got very little, comparatively little screen time actually, uh, but The Last Post with uh, Liz Shaw, which I think was Caroline John's last one, if I remember correctly. I heard that again yesterday. It's really good. Um, it, Excellent story. It sort of ties into season seven, which is a sort of favourite era of mine very, very well and kind of it sort of turns the season into an ongoing storyline that maybe it wasn't so much on TV. 
So yeah, I quite like the last post. It's it's a very, very strong tale. Okay, well, we will talk about um, the Oliver Harper trilogy a little bit, which, Jimmy, you've already said it's sort of your favourite bit of the Companion Chronicles. Uh, why is that? I think just the, the moment it was announced, I was excited because I, I love the new Companions that Big Finish Audio have done before, like Hex and RMM, and you sort of expect new Companions in the full cast stories, but I was really surprised that they had the nerve to try to throw in an extra Companion into the Heart and Lyra, and I love the Heart and Lyra. It's my favourite part of the series, so I was simultaneously super excited to get a new companion in this era and super nervous that what if they don't do it very well and what if it not doesn't work out but luckily the excitement was right and the nervousness was wrong because they handled him spectacularly yeah and it was you could argue perhaps a, a character a companion that only really would work in the companion chronicles format just because you've got a lot of yeah, a lot of internalizing and that kind of thing that you know he's hiding something and you're sort of led to believe it's one thing and it turns out to be something completely different and i think maybe sort of that very intimate companion chronicles format actually uh really really works well with that yeah definitely they definitely did such a good job with his storyline and it was also a perfect example of striking the balance between being true to the era of the show at the time and the present because obviously his storyline is very true to what was going on in the 60s but obviously would never have been on screen on the telly in back in that era and so they've handled it with a modern sensibility but they've still portrayed the era sort of accurately to how it really was and I think they struck that balance just so well with him and it's made him such an interesting and such a likable character for me and i'd say that that was something that big finish has sort of excelled at quite a few times but i'd i'd definitely sort of argue and i assume you'd agree that this is the strongest example of that the kind of you know one era with the sensibilities of another absolutely i mean he's he became my favorite audio companion even with only three stories i think the one and only problem I have is that they killed him off so soon and that they didn't leave a gap that they could introduce more stories later because I think I would have loved to hear more from him and he was always in the trilogy. He was the secondary voice and it was primarily Peter Purvis's Stephen that was the main character. But if he could have continued, I would have loved to have had a story where he was the main voice and we got into his perspective a bit more and Stephen was the guest character rather than the main that would have been an interesting way to take it. Uh, Gareth, you've listened to it sort of in the last couple of weeks, haven't you? Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, well, it's it's brilliant. Um, and mostly I know Tom Allen as Pip Bin from Bleak Expectations. So I always have to kind of consciously disentangle him from that. I don't know if you've heard Bleak Expectations. It's amazing. It's the funniest thing. Um, it's just very Dickens, obviously. Anyway, um, you were saying about it's a shame he gets killed off, and it, it is, certainly, but it seems to me this time listening to it that the, the point of the trilogy was was Stephen very much coming to terms with the fact that everything's not as hopeless as he thinks it is. Uh, by which I mean, in at the start of the second and the third stories, Stephen is in a really kind of fatalistic mood. Both those stories sort of 
do that narrative device where you start at a point where everything's so perilous they're probably going to croak and then we kind of fill in the backstory um but it seemed after both stories that that was kind of a theme and with the third one like Stephen kind of feeling like everything's hopeless and there are references obviously to Dalek master plan and all the people he's lost and all of the toll that that's taken on him and the kind of the ending of uh I always forget that it's the first wave isn't it I always get the title wrong because it's called the first wave and it's the third story anyway um Stephen is basically ready to completely give up at the end of that. And apologies if I'm remembering this wrong. It was about a week ago. Oliver kind of, I mean, well, we've said he gets killed off. You know, he basically leaps into the fray in a kind of, it's not hopeless. We can do something way. And it seems to me that his character was there to kind of spur Stephen on a bit and sort of say, well, you know, yeah, you've lost people, but that doesn't mean everything's completely hopeless and you can't try anymore. Um, and, you know, it's ironic because obviously the person teaching him this does actually die. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of what I took away from it. And I thought that was incredible. And Simon Guerrier is great at finding a kind of character reason to put a story in somewhere. And I mentioned uh, the Sarah Kingdom thing. I mean, obviously... The, the impetus there is to kind of focus on her feelings about Brett Vine. And God, everything we like is about Brett Vine getting killed. But uh, it's the same sort of thing. He kind of finds a reason, something the character needs to kind of figure out to themselves that they didn't have a chance to on screen. So, I, yeah, I think they're both great examples of that. Yeah, it's it's some of the strongest character work Big Finish have ever done. I think it, it's sort of fair to say and easy to argue um i think as well it's sort of it is such a unique trilogy uh i mean big finish have done loads of trilogies only a few in the companion chronicles really there's i've not heard them all there's still some i've got to go to companion chronicles for me fall into that lovely category of i've still got some doctor who to listen to um at some point but when I got to the start of this trilogy, when I heard the first story, which I'm being very bad and I can't remember the name of, wasn't Cold Equations, was it? That was the second. The Perpetual Bond was the Perpetual first. Bond, thank you. Um, when I heard The Perpetual Bond, um, I'd been listening to all of the Companion Chronicles in order up till that point. And when I got to it, I just sort of went, no, I can't. I can't wait for this. I've got to do the full trilogy now. And just from that first story... I was straight in, and I think by the end of the day I'd listened to all three. I was just so gripped and so mesmerised by how strong the character work was um, and how fantastic a character Oliver was. And yeah, it, it's I'd love to see more of the same thing because while there are three very fantastic stories in that trilogy, above anything else, it is a character study. I think the the Companion Chronicles are great at finding those uh, kind of themes to to sort of explore and sometimes not in a conventional trilogy. So, you know, for example, you've got the Rocket Men, which has got that refrain of uh, when do you know that Ian keeps saying. And and the the purpose of that one is he kind of comes to terms with his feelings for Barbara, which is one of those sort of unspoken things that we all kind of headcanon. Later on, there's Return of the Rocket Men, which I think was a different writer. I think maybe the first one was John Dorney, possibly the second one was Matt Fitton. 
Um, and again, you've got that when when do you know thing, and they repurpose that for Stephen. So then that's more a can I you know when should I leave the TARDIS kind of thing. Um, and we got you know another adventure, but in the fourth Doctor adventure, so not even a companion chronicle with the Requiem for the Rocket Man, where Leela is kind of asking the same question, and it's a great kind of excuse to sort of dig in and come back to ideas later on in stories, not necessarily sequentially as well. You know, like you were saying, you li- you really like the last post. There's a lot of there's a tremendous feeling with those Carol and John stories of sort of trying to reconcile the fact that she doesn't work for unit anymore, which I guess is the the sort of bugbear for that character. But they all do it in kind of their own way. So yeah, I, I just think the Companion Chronicles are, Chronicles are great at uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'd agree. Absolutely. Um, I'm very, very glad, sort of moving on a little bit here, I'm very glad that obviously originally the the sort of mission of the Companion Chronicles was to um, give us stories from the four Doctors, the four classic Doctors that at the time Big Finish didn't have. Um, So first, second, third and fourth. And it very, very quickly kind of expanded uh, on that. I think it was the third series. All of a sudden we were getting stories from other Doctors with characters that were appearing in full cast stories as well. And it still gave us the opportunity to approach those companions and characters in different ways and sort of get more of a look into the head than uh, TV or even full cast audio would give you. So it it really carried that character focus along and gave us something extra and different um, because when you think about it, when you think Companion Chronicles, you don't think, oh, a Nissa story and, or an Ace story or something like that, or even a Beneath Summerfield story. Um, but the fact that all of these characters got the same treatment is really what made the range special. And I think perhaps it lost something by kind of losing that focus towards the end of its run. Uh, would you say that's a fair thing to say? either of you i think definitely that it was a great idea to do stuff for the later doctors that they could do in full cast and i think the best example for it for me is probably my favorite non-first doctor era companion chronicle perry in the piscon paradox and there they did such a good job of handling how she was in her time with the fifth doctor how she was in her time with the sixth how she might have ended up after she left the doctor and I think they blended it all together so well and that story really benefits from repeated listenings and if they hadn't gone for the later Doctors, that never would have happened. And so while I love the first and second Doctor Companion Chronicles particularly and some of the third, that's that's still one of my favourites. Um, just to leap in, um, I, I agree that the mission statement of the Companion Chronicles, Chronicles did kind of expand, so... Yeah, it was it was sort of focusing on the doctors we don't have, and I really like the way that it's sort of the fact that you could only have a companion and another actor. Some I I don't know if maybe there was sometimes a third actor, but you know generally that was it. As they expanded, it seemed to force the writers to come up with kind of reasons why the story was being told in this way, not just you know character sits down and unspools a tale at somebody. They would really find ways to sort of make it interesting so for example you've got solitaire 
which is technically speaking not really a companion chronicle. It's a two-hander. So you've got India Fisher and David Bailey, um, and the only other voice in it is India Fisher sort of doing a, a funny voice. And all of that is sort of canon. You know, that's just an adventure happening right there. And it's incredible. The story is just so finessed and well worked out. But anyway, it's it's great that there's a sort of different focus for it. Um, the Scorchies is kind of the same uh, in that everything that's happening is Kate, Katie Manning and another actor whose name I can't remember. All the voices could be happening there and then. But then you've got stuff like Ringpool World, which really focuses on the kind of narrative device of the fact that somebody's telling a story. And like you can feel Paul Mars really going for it. And, oh God, I hope I've got that right. And it is Paul Mars. Um, and is, he's got yes. a cat. Hey, thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and he's got a character there who's a novelizer, whose job it is to just hound people and record their life story. And, you know, that's that's very funny in and of itself. But towards the end of the story, it sort of shifts tenses and they start trying to figure out what's going to happen. And the last act of the story happens in future tense. So it never e- even happens. It's all just Turlo kind of figuring out um, what's going to happen and laying it out before us and then just hoping he's going to get there at all, all while kind of intrinsically telling us a story about Turlo feeling very untrustworthy. Uh, so I love that aspect of it. That oh, oh, and another one, the Mahogany Murderers, of course. I mean, you've got Jago and oh, Lightfoot yes. basically down the pub telling each other about this adventure they've both had, but from different perspectives. And it's so good. I mean, it almost goes without saying. Of course it's good. They made 13 and a bit series of drama out of it, but it's hilarious. But yeah, it's just a chat down the pub. And at one point, you know, uh, Lightfoot is doing voices and Jago kind of in that David Tennant Donna way is kind of like, oh, don't do that. Because he doesn't think he's very good. I mean, it's just, they find these ways to do it. And I agree that towards the end of the range, I mean, it's, you know, just opinion, but they sort of shifted away from that. And nowadays, to the extent that it's still going on, maybe it isn't anymore. That would be sad. It seems to be a slightly more traditional kind of first doctor, second doctor, tell you a tale kind of thing. And I, I think that's a shame. I think that the kind of weirdness of the Companion Chronicles was something you only got in the Companion Chronicles. And I wish they'd carry on. I think the other thing that um, you sort of that brought up for me was this story of the Companions after the Doctor, like you were saying, in um, how some stories it's during, like with the Scorchies and the Mahogany Murderers being set up for Jago and Lightfoot. But one thing I really liked was hearing about the Companions after they've left. And for me, the two store, the two particular um, releases that they did that well is Frostfire, the very first companion chronicle, and hearing Vicky stuck in ancient times and how she's coping with life there, and that was such a great way to start the range off and to show that it isn't just an excuse to show stories with the earlier Doctors; it is actually doing something with the characters. And another one would probably be the Zoe's memory sort of arc all the way through Fear of the Daleks, Echoes of Grey, Memory Cheats, Unsurveyed Principle and Second Chances because by the end that was more about what's going on with Zoe and how she's coping with having lost her memories and what's going on in her time and what people want with her and the stories with the second Doctor become almost secondary and yet it still does a brilliant job of characterising her and showing us her perspective and her life. I uh, 
always thought about the sort of Zoe's memory stories that there was something um, I don't know if either of you have ever played any of the Assassin's Creed games uh, but there was something very similar to the narrative in there you've got a modern day part and then you've got what's going on in the past and I, Assassin's Creed games haven't quite got to a point where the modern day part's important yet they've kind of flirted with it and then gone I know you just want to stab people in the past don't you but um the Zoe's memory art kind of follows the same format and it's it is very interesting um to hear you say I've not got all the way to the end of it yet I've got still got a few to go but it's very interesting to hear you say that it does reach a point where um the modern day stuff to an extent becomes more important I'm looking forward to getting to that I think that's a, a very brilliant idea um just to go back to the um after the doctor stuff there's a great uh steven story told over multiple ones and we were saying earlier about sort of trilogies that kind of come and go and obviously zoe's another example of that um but towards the end of the range before it moved into box sets there's one about steven kind of after the savages and that kind of i think two-thirds of it maybe are in that first first doctor box set which is an incredible bunch and uh it's that really highlights something else that's great about the Companion Chronicles, which is Stephen's uh, Peter Purvis's Doctor voice, which in those stories is just there's no part of my brain that struggles to differentiate these as two completely separate characters, and he can he can hold scenes as the two characters just effortlessly, and he really builds somebody out of that, and that's another little sort of joy of the range, which you also get by the way, I mean, completely off topic, but the the Target audiobooks. You know, it's great hearing different readers kind of attack the characters in their own weird and wonderful little ways. Uh, but the Companion Chronicles are obviously full of all of these, not impersonations, but kind of digging into how they feel about that character and how it sounds. But yeah, the Stephen one is incredible and it kind of ends um, feeding into, first of all, the Oliver Harper thing, I'm pretty sure, kind of loosely as a callback, but also the Tenth Planet. I mean, it's, yeah, just an incredible trilogy of stories an unofficial trilogy that comes and goes uh one thing i do find about the sort of companions in the future stories is that they do seem to be very bleak in a lot of cases um there's a leela trilogy uh where as far as i can tell this is the oldest that we've ever encountered leela so this is after the time war and all of those monstrosities um and she just seems to be there and dying and alone and it's it's all a bit grim uh from what i can gather the stephen one goes into some dark territory as well i've not quite reached that stage yet uh the zoe one's quite dark um i'm just sort of i'm just sort of thinking you know do the companion chronicles do they take characters into too dark a territory sometimes? Can it get a little bit grim, these sort of companions after the Doctor? It's very easy uh, to sort of turn around and go, oh, they left the Doctor and their life was miserable because they'd had this amazing experience travelling through time and space and the ghosts of that still haunt them and lots of horrible things happened because the Doctor wasn't there to save them. Um, do the Companion Chronicles get too dark? Uh, Jimmy, I'll ask you first. I think it uh, varies between the companions and there are some where I think it's, no, it's quite reasonable and there's others where I think, 
oh, it could have, there's a few where I even think it could have gone darker. Like, um, I think in Frostfire, while I loved that, um, hearing Vicky coping in ancient times, I think you wouldn't expect a companion from that far in the future to cope that well in the past. And yet she seems to be managing quite well. So I think often the companion chronicles do go a bit darker, but I think that was one where they went, uh, less dark than they could perhaps, but, um, Really, darkness-wise, the thing that I come back to again is the Oliver Harper trilogy because they they said at the time that it first came out that they were trying to fit with that sort of season-free tone where, you know, you've just had the Daleks' master plan, you've had Katarina die, you've had Sarah Kingdom die, you're about to go into the massacre and all that horror for Stephen, and they wanted to sort of fit the tone of that era. And at the time, I thought that was a great argument and I sort of accepted that Oliver got killed off, but... In hindsight, they've done another Companion Chronicle in one of the box sets. I, um, I'm struggling to remember the author, but it was the um, it was the Barden invasion of Murph, and it was just a typical, you know, story. It was quite, you know, n- not very dark, and yet it was the Bardens after they've killed Oliver, and Stephen doesn't seem to even remember or care, and so that sort of made me think oh, they didn't have to go as dark as they did with Oliver. You know, they made the argument about fitting into the era, but they're not fitting into it here in a sort of follow-up. And so, yeah, that was the one time the Companion Chronicles were a bit too dark for me, like killing off one of the the first and earliest chronologically, canonically gay companions and just, you know, offering him to fit the tone, supposedly. That sort of sat a bit wrong with me. Uh, and Gareth, any thoughts? It's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that, that it kind of takes a dark slant. I wonder if, generally speaking, Doctor Who, when it does it, feels that it has to. Um, because if you say that the character's life is great and everything's perfect, then there's sort of nowhere much to go with that, I suppose. And if you want to kind of revisit the Doctor, I don't know. Um, I, I kind of think, well, the Home Truths trilogy is a good example of kind of a, a sort of negative outcome because Sarah Kingdom, without wanting to get into it too much, has this kind of continued existence that feels almost like a punishment. And she certainly feels that it is, I think, you know, she's always ruminating what she's done wrong. Um, but as the three stories progress, the the sort of possibility of hope comes into it and, you know, having a life outside of what she's previously done. So I feel like maybe with the more time you have to explore something like that, eventually they kind of go the other way. Um, You know, a bit uh, sort of unrelated, but it seems like every time Katie Manning does one of these, she ends up crying. Um, It always seems to be that she loves the Doctor so much that it's just overpowering, which I guess is maybe something Katie Manning just brings to it. But it seems like her stories tend to involve some kind of incredible catharsis where she just can't believe that she knew this amazing person and doesn't know him anymore. I mean, Find and Replace, which obviously includes elements from Ringpool world, is is very heavily that. You know, she's kind of adjusting to her life not being that anymore, and she sees him again in, in an interesting context and, you know, tries to move on. So it's very melancholy. So, yeah, I, th- I think there is a tendency to say that life after the Doctor isn't great, but um, I've not noticed a sort of overpowering trend towards saying it's it's bad. I think that sort of goes against how these 
stories usually work. I think they'd have to have quite bleak endings to to leave the character in that kind of place. Fair enough. It's, I mean, I agree with you. Yes, it's. I suppose you don't want to show that life without the Doctor is absolutely amazing and he's a waste of time because that would kind of destroy the premise of Doctor Who a little bit. Um, it's very dependent on people wanting to travel with him and with a few exceptions, you know, early on in and Barbara, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I, it, it's it's an interesting point, actually. It's, um, everyone's not going to have perfectly happy lives after they leave the Doctor. Um, one example, I suppose, being Leela, who left the Doctor to get married. And a lot of people have problems with the ending to the Invasion of Time. I'm wandering really far off topic here. A lot of people have real problems with the ending of Invasion of Time. You know, Leela disappears to get married to somebody she barely knows um i've never had too many problems with that i've always thought it's very it's very in character for leela to her kind of you know instinctively go oh yes you know this this is the right person to be my partner she was a very instinctive character um but then big finish after that sort of wasted no time whatsoever in completely destroying that with uh, the Gallifrey series. Leela goes abs- through absolute hell through Gallifrey and through um, uh, the Companion Chronicles as well. Oh, and the Time War. Um, she does seem to have a particularly unhappy, generally unhappy post-Doctor life. Um, and the reason that she left the Doctor is just erased straight away. Um, that was a that was me rambling. Anyway, we'll move on. Um, so we've talked about our favourite releases and we've talked about favourite trilogies, story arcs, and so on. Um, are there any other kind of standout releases from the Companion Chronicles range that we should touch on? Uh, anything you can think of, Gareth? Oh, I'm just getting a list up in front of me of different releases. Um. There's some longer releases, surprisingly, which are four episodes, which, you know, I think of as more kind of fun and traditional than um, you sort of dig into the character thing. So we've got stuff like uh, The Suffering and The Anachronauts, and I think The Transit of Venus was a longer one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But oh, Transit was just normal. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I must be thinking. I seem to remember else. it being one day. That's fine. Um, well, yeah. I mean, there's just there's plenty of stories in there that are just fun, which which almost sounds like a put down. But yeah, for for all that I really enjoy that kind of dig in, find what happened to the companion, did it upset them stuff. There's plenty in there that are just sort of spooky or fun. I mean, we got an Evelyn Smythe one, Town Called Fortune. That was a laugh. <laughs> um, we got the pre. Unearthly child stories with Susan, which uh, I don't, I don't think were like mind blowing because it's such a difficult period to handle because you you sort of don't want to uh, commit to anything because it's it's sort of out of bounds in a way. But they still did them. You know, we we got stories about them leaving Gallifrey, and that's pretty amazing. And yeah, just squirrelled away in this odd little range. Oh, and not to mention as well, sorry, I keep going on. Um, we got several contributions from people who didn't necessarily do a lot else. I mean, Caroline John, we've mentioned a few times. Did she do anything besides the Companion Chronicles? 
for Big Finish? Um, she played a character that wasn't Liz in, I think it was Dust Breeding. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and we got Nicholas Courtney. Um, we got the <laughs> who, as I as I said a few weeks ago, Nicholas Courtney never did enough Big Finish. No. Um. <laughs> at all so i mean we only got the one companion chronicle from him didn't yeah we? quite an early one uh old soldiers which i i really enjoyed it was sort of it's a nice study into uh how the ending of the silurians affected the doctor and the briggs relationship which does seem to get brushed over a little bit on telly so it was kind of nice to have that to bridge the gap of the ones that we haven't mentioned yet, I, I did have a list sitting up of some of the best Companion Chronicles in the background, and lots of them we've mentioned already, but um, probably for me, after the monthly range of it ended and the box sets came in, well, it generally wasn't as good. The one exception for me, I absolutely loved the first Doctor Ben and Polly stories that they did, because especially in the... I think it was the second first Doctor Box set, but it was the first one where they dealt with that team. It was the, both the stories were brilliant in and of themselves, but the clever thing was the way they tied in with, especially in the trailer for that audio, they tied into the Time War and they decided to do this thing about the Doctor's past having been adjusted. And so they actually explained how there could be more first Doctor Ben and Polly stories instead of, you know, after the smugglers, they land straight away in Antarctica for the 10th planet history's changed and they can now have more stories. And I'm so glad they did that because it was such a short-lived team and they've made them really work well together. And it's just a shame that the actor who's, who played the new version of Ben has quit because I would have loved to have more stories with that team. I really enjoyed uh, their run of Second Doctor stories in the early adventures. Uh, a lot of people sort of complain that they're, they're a bit... I suppose traditional or don't really go anywhere, but that's actually what I want from Second Doctor Ben and Polly, just something very nice and normal because I think the characters are so good and I enjoy them so much. So I like the idea that there can be more Ben and Polly with the first Doctor and I hope that Big Finish managed to find a way to do that uh, soon, really. The real unfortunate thing with it was that they seemed to be starting up a new arc because in the next box set they had a story with the first Doctor Ben and Polly, and at the end, uh, spoiler alert if you haven't heard it, they actually introduced a new companion. So it was no longer going to be just the first Doctor Ben and Polly. They now have this companion who's an eight-year-old boy who time experiments or something have aged him and he's really old now. He's actually played by David Warner and he joins them in the TARDIS at the end. And so I was really hoping, looking forward to more stories with this new dynamic and this interesting new character but then, of course, the actor who played Ben quit, and now it looks like they'll probably never end up following up on it, which is a real shame for me because that was such a clever idea to not only expand their era with the first Doctor, but even shove in a new companion and such an interesting one too. I think um, you just sort of brought up the point of discontinued storylines. I mean, I do hope they managed to continue that one. It, it, I've not got to those stories yet, but it sounds excellent. Uh, but um, the Sarah Kingdom trilogy, Sarah Kingdom trilogy, ended on a sort of very upbeat note, really, didn't it? Sort of a Tardis arrived, the Tardis arrived, and she got into it. 
And as far as I'm aware, that's never been followed up on. They did. They did sort of hint at a follow up. They in that story, the five companions, where um, they expand the five doctors and have uh, the fifth doctor running to his old first doctor era companions, and they did have her in that, and she sort of seems to imply that. I forget the details. It's been way too long since I listened to that story, but it seems to imply that she met a future version of the Doctor, but she didn't end up travelling with him or it didn't end up working. And because the fifth Doctor was surprised to see her, it obviously has to be a Doctor after him. But, yeah, they haven't really dropped any hints or done anything with it since. And I assume, I think, uh, Jean Marsh is no longer doing them. I think she's retired, so I assume it'll never get followed up on and, that's a pity, but um, I suppose that's something for the fanfic writers now because she could have ended up with any Doctor from the 6th right through to the 13th or beyond. I suppose the other thing is um, you could argue that it's actually definitely after the 10th Doctor because in Dalek Universe, uh, the 10th Doctor still believes Sarah to be dead. Oh, I haven't heard Dalek Universe yet. I've been meaning to get around to it, but I haven't heard... Um, the new companion Anya's stories with the fourth Doctor even yet, so I'm way behind on my listening there, but it certainly sounds like that's a great new era of stories as well. I, I won't spoil it too much for you then, but um, uh, Sarah Kingdom's death is a... It's sort of felt very strongly through a good chunk of Dalek Universe. It sort of makes up quite a bit of the character art, character work that's going on. Uh, but we'll leave that one there if you've not heard it. Um, just one other thing I wanted to chat about with uh, something else that they kind of fit into the Companion Chronicle range quite a few times was um, tie-ins to other things going on at Big Finish. So they had a story set during the, the Hex arc, uh, which was, uh, uh, is it Project Nirvana? Yeah, that was the tie-in for that arc, and they it was practically a full-cast story, though, because it had the Doctor and his two other companions from that era, and they did do a bit of narration, but it was basically a full-cast story. But, yeah, it was a brilliant one, but it didn't really feel like a companion chronicle as such. Uh, but they did a they did a Ultimate Adventure one as well, didn't they? And a Key to Time one, a Key to Time one. The Key to Time one is actually my favourite bit of the Key to Time because uh, I wasn't crazy about the three main stories, but that one, it just has more focus because, again, because it's a companion chronicle, you're stuck with these two people. But uh, there was also a Jamie one set during the City of Spires trilogy. Oh, Sixth Doctor, yeah. yes. So the kind of older Jamie. Um, so they used the companion chronicles to kind of bulk out even what they were doing at the time just to give a little bit more to it. and um. What do you guys sort of think of that, using the Companion Chronicles to kind of supplement, uh, in most of these cases, the monthly range? Uh, Jimmy, you go first. I think it worked pretty well. Um, I'm glad they didn't do it too often, and that usually the Companion Chronicles stood on their own, but the one, the times they did do it, like you say, the um, the older Jamie from the Sixth Doctor arc and the, um, the Seventh Doctor, the tie into the Black Tardis trilogy... Every time they did it, they did it well, but I'm glad the range stood on its own for the most part. Um, what about you, Gareth? I think it's pretty seamless with uh, how they work. So if they're, if they're often dipping into a character arc that we didn't have time to explore on screen, so how did the character feel about this, that, and the other, then saying what happened to this character when they were over there to the left 
during this monthly range adventure is really not that different. So I was quite happy that they were able to do that. But yeah, I agree. It probably wouldn't have been great to do it too often because you kind of don't want to tell people all the time if you want to understand or enjoy this, you need to go over there and listen to that other thing. It's not really fair. So yeah, I think they did it sort of just the right amount. Yeah, I'd agree. It was a nice sort of bonus thing to do, maybe. I mean, I suppose they did it once a year, once every couple of years around the time they were doing it. Um, but yeah, it, whenever I go back to listen to any of those stories now, I do fit the Companion Chronicle in. I make a point of sort of squeezing it in there and listening along to that. Um, so the last thing before we sort of start to wrap up... Um, We've talked about the best stories and we've talked about the best arcs and that kind of thing. But uh, we've kind of touched on the fact that Companion Chronicles is a very... It's a unique format. It it uses narration in weird and wonderful ways. Um, What would you say, if we haven't mentioned this already, what would you say are the best uses of that format, Uh, Jimmy? It's tough to say because they've they've done so many audios with Companion Chronicles and it's so many of them were so good, but um, it's I struggle to think of just to just narrow it down to one. But always when they uh, got in the heads of the past companions, I I think they did a brilliant job always of handling how the companions rec- recollected their past and how they felt about it. And so it's. Yeah, too hard to narrow it down to just one. The range really excelled in that regard pretty much always. Uh, That's absolutely fair enough. Uh, What about you, Gareth? Um, Well, on a similar note, I don't really think I can say like, well, here is the one Companion Chronicle that gets it across because the thing that I love about them is that it varies. So I would probably be a little bit boring here because I've already mentioned them, but I would say sort of Mahogany Murderers, Ringpool World, maybe home truths as just examples of kind of the things that the range can do. And, you know, maybe if they ever continue it, I don't know, maybe they could go more in that direction. That would be nice. But alas, probably not. Certainly wouldn't complain. Um, I think we can all agree that it's a particularly strong range though, and that it did produce some of the best Doctor Who there's ever been in any medium. There are some real gems in there and, I'm glad that I've still got a fair chunk of it left to listen to. I think I think I've got the last two series of when they did it monthly plus the box sets. So it's I've got a good chunk to listen to and I'm looking forward to kind of pushing pushing on with that. Um we will move on to our regular last section of the podcast then. Um which is when I ask you guys what you've been listening to recently uh, outside of what we've discussed already so it can be absolutely anything it can be big finish not big finish um up until this point everybody has said oh i've been listening to doctor who redacted we've not got that anymore you've not got that easy get out so um let's let's see what it is jimmy what have you been listening to recently i'm still getting up to date on the ninth doctor audios i've uh finished the third box set and started the fourth and that's going well. And um, other than that, I've also been re-watching. I started the marathon age of the goal of the first Doctor and I got to um, 
that, I was finding it hard to find motivation to write about it, but I've sort of secretly kept on watching it and I've just almost finished season two now. I just finished The Chase the other day and will probably finish The Time Meddler in the next couple of days. So that's been a great deal of fun as well. And uh, we are planning to do Doctor Who season by season very soon. Um, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about those first, those very first seasons, the William Hartnell stuff. So they'll, um, it might take a little while for those to arrive, but I'm looking forward to the season by season series that we're going to do. Excellent stuff. And Gareth, what about you? What have you been listening to recently? Not a heck of a lot of recent releases. I am up to date with the Ninth Doctor Adventures and the third episode of the most recent set, Old Lang Syne, is incredible. Just a great story. Um, also, the most recent Out of Time. Uh, the first two releases in that range were just like treats, really, just total fun. But this third one, Wink, um, really felt like a, a genuinely great script that was like you know we we only got it kind of because of the pandemic but it's just that is a really good addition to the range the only other thing i would say is target novelizations because i i still have millions of those to work through i listened to the trial of a time lord as audiobooks and uh it doesn't massively improve you know where it's got issues but the readers inject so much into it and uh, linda bellingham reading the mysterious planet is just pure joy so i would recommend that to anyone who even has has like seen the trial of a time lord once that would probably be enjoyable i have to admit i'm i've not done many of the targets at all i've not really read that many of them but i've certainly listened to very few of them on audio and trial is very very high on the list of ones that i want to kind of get hold of and listen to because i've heard that pretty much what you've just said actually it's the readers that make them it's it's never going to be the most wonderful Doctor Who story ever. I do like Trial. I think Trial's a lot of fun. I think it, 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 the good outweighs the bad with it, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, giving that a listen, which I will do soon. I think you've just encouraged me to get on with that, really. There's plenty of them that are genuinely great. I would dip into anything with William Russell for a start. William Russell could read the yellow pages oh, and I'd be hooked. <laughs> That's how we got. That's how I got into listening Definitely. to them. Just the Crusaders and the Daleks, just amazing books, anyway. But so much extra is added just by the reading. Yeah, I've heard him do the, the Daleks. That was a particularly good one. Um, I'd recommend that to absolutely anybody. Okay, well, we shall leave it there. Um, so we have got more podcast for you next week. However. Um, we are going to do our June releases summary next, where we look at big finish releases throughout June. I think we're going to get quite excited about um, Self-Defense, the Warmaster box set, which quite a few of us loved. So that's what we'll be doing next week. But for now, I shall say goodbye to Jimmy. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk about it. Ah, it's been great to talk Companion Chronicles with you. I know that it's a favourite of yours. Uh, and thanks to Gareth. Uh, thank you. It was great to turn up and say that the Home Truths trilogy is real good. Because it is. Um, I hope to uh, do a podcast. I got it right that time, podcast. I hope to do a podcast episode with you both again soon. But for now, it is goodbye. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.